Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year, book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. Today's life study is from the book of Colossians, a book revealing that Christ is everything to us, being profound and all-inclusive, and is unveiled to us to a fuller extent in this book than in any other book in the Bible. We must not allow anything to replace Christ or to be a substitute for Him. Now, let's join today's life study. It has been said that the book of Colossians reveals or unveils Christ to a fuller extent than any other book in the Bible. The first eight verses of Colossians serve as somewhat an introduction to the book. And in this introduction, the Apostle Paul seems to be saying, Dear Colossians, if you follow the Jewish observances or the Gentile ordinances, you will not lay up anything for yourselves in the heavens as a hope. You need to live by Christ. One day, Christ, who is our life, will appear in glory. Francis, this is the words of Witness Lee in his life study message from Colossians, and I'm glad that uh, you're here with us. Again, I'm thankful to be here. Thank you. As we began this life study yesterday, we talked about Witness Lee's quote that I used at the opening today, that Colossians unveils Christ to a fuller extent than any other book of the Bible. And we also saw the background of the book, that there were many items that came into the early church that became substitutes for Christ, even a lot of good things. We need to be on guard against this kind of substitution, especially today also, don't we? We certainly do. These things that are brought out in this book of Colossians are still with us today, and they're still distractions. They're not necessarily evil things or sinful things, but the things that are distracting from Christ have an evil effect on us Mm -hmm. because they distract us from life. For example, philosophy. As I mentioned in this book in Colossians, that this is a potential real distraction, even though it's a good thing. Of course, there's deceit. It's possible for us to be deceived by something that's seemingly good. Right. And that deceit really distracts us from Christ. And I think maybe one of the most prevailing things that is brought out in the New Testament and also we experience today, the tradition of men Hmm. really tends to distract us away from Christ. It seemed like tradition has had such a history that it can become so much a part of our thinking and our expectation that we're completely distracted from the reality of Christ. So this is another aspect In one place in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus was saying, you set aside the Word of God in order to keep your tradition. So we certainly don't want to be in that category. Then, of course, the elements of the world, just the ordinary things of the world can distract us, and, and even things like asceticism, trying to make our flesh be less active and our lust be more under control by taking ways to make us suffer intentionally. And then, of course, another thing that's still prevailing today and seems to have gained momentum is angel worship. Right. It seems like we see so much about angels that we miss Christ. I've seen a good deal of advertisement and even bookstores where the uh, matter of angels is so prevailing. But you look hard to find something of Christ as reality. And mysticism and culture, those things are all distracting people away from Christ. 
It's really interesting, Francis, you mentioned that. I was thinking about that as well. There's uh, not only books, there's a proliferation, movies and TV programs. Of course, you never see anything, uh, I don't think, on uh, secular TV about Christ so much, but they have all kinds of programs relating to angels and uh, uh, same kind of thought in in the movies today. There's uh, a real current here at the present time, isn't there? There seems to be. There certainly seems to be. And the point yesterday was that all of these things, whether good or bad, can be and often are substitutes for the real experience of Christ. So uh, I think we see the enemy's hand not too heavily veiled in the background at work here, don't we? That's right. That's one of the things that this ministry has done for us is to unveil us so that we're not distracted by these kind of things, even though many of them are quite good, but they're not God and they're not Christ. Well, that's the background of the book that we saw yesterday and you just gave us a good review of. Today we want to go on. This message really is entitled The Introduction to the Book of Colossians, and it focuses primarily on the first eight verses. I'm not going to read all of them, but I do want to read a few here. If we start at verse 3, it says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always concerning you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have unto all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in the heavens of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, even as it has also in all the world, bearing fruit and growing and also in you, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Francis, as Paul opens his letter here, he introduces the topic of the hope of the believers. A bit later on in this chapter, I think it's verse 27, we find out directly, Christ is our hope. The hope of the believers, that's our topic today, Francis. Let's join Witness Lee. We all know, in the introduction to any book, always indicates the real purpose and the real subject of that book. After reading the first eight verses of chapter 1 as an introduction to this book, have you found out what is indicated in these eight verses as the purpose and the subject of this book. The indications here are very somewhat heated. Don't think this introduction is a light word. Apparently, it is light. But actually, I tell you, three heavy, weighty diamonds here. Three diamonds. So weighty. One is what? The hope, the other is what? The truth. And the third one is what? The grace in truth. What is the hope here? You may think, well, well, the hope laid up in the heavens uh, is just some uh, blessing, uh, some kind of uh, glorious enjoyment. Eventually, This book itself, even in the same chapter, it tells us what is this hope and who is this hope. You go on to verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Yes, he is there being laid up in the heavens. Yet, he is now in you. So, this hope is for you. Francis, let's talk about the phrase that he brought out here uh, briefly at the end. This hope that is being laid up for us. This phrase, uh, being laid up, has an implication to it. Let's, uh, let's explore this a bit. That's an interesting statement, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. Uh, the hope laid up for you. How do you lay up hope? This is a very subjective matter. I think we have to realize that at the outset, that it's not something so objective that we're looking forward to one day, although it has that part in it. But it really has much to do with our daily living. And the more we love the saints, all the believers, Mm -hmm. and the more that we manifest this, you can say the more hope there is laid up for us. Now, maybe we can uh, get into that as we like to repeat a little bit of uh, Brother Lee's message along this way. But how much hope is laid up for us depends on, on how much we're living Christ today. In these verses, it even comes out, these three uh, terms, faith, love, and hope. Mm-hmm. And these are, of course, the three terms that we saw in 1 Corinthians. Faith is to believe and receive Christ. That's how we receive him. Right. And love is to experience and enjoy what we have received of Christ. Now we're on the matter of hope, and hope is to expect and wait for the glorification of Christ. The more we live Christ today, the more hope is laid up for us. And it's really evidenced in our daily living of Christ, even in our relationship with other Christians and with other people in general. And it's just as though Paul were saying something of what you brought out at the introduction, that you could paraphrase his verse there saying, Dear Colossians, uh, if you follow the Jewish observances and the Gentile ordinances, you will not lay up anything for yourself in the heavens as a hope. You need to live by Christ. He said, one day, Christ, who is our life, will appear in glory. You referred to that verse a while ago in uh, chapter 3 of this book, Colossians, where it says, Christ, who is our life, will appear in glory. And at present, We are hidden with Christ in God. And then, also it says, He is our inner life, and He will appear. Right now, He's hidden, but He will appear in glory, and we will appear with Him. If we live Christ and we're one with Him, we should be able to say, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I take you as my life and as my person. Lord, I want to be with you in your presence. Chris, I believe... If we contact the Lord in this way, day by day, we will be very happy at his coming. Francis, I want to just emphasize that before we go on to the next point. How we live today is directly related to this matter of the laying up part. It's interesting the verse doesn't just say that Christ is our hope in the heavens in a kind of objective way, as you pointed out, but it says he is being laid up as our hope in the heavens. And so it's this laying up that really should occupy much of our attention in our Christian life today, isn't it? That's right. Laying up is how we're living Christ today in our relationship directly with him and also with one another. Okay, Francis, let's go on. Verse 6 presents another phrase that I'd like to explore. The verse says, which has come to you even as it is also in the world bearing fruit and growing as also in you since the day you heard 
and here's the phrase, and knew the grace of God in truth. Francis, to know or fully know the grace of God in truth is a marvelous point. Let's go back to Witness Lee, and then you and I will have a chance to uh, fellowship about it as well. We go on to next verse, verse 6. Which is come to you? Which, then in the gospel. The gospel with the truth is come to you, as also in all the world it is, bearing fruit and growing. What is to bear fruit? By the gospel. That is, you love the saints. Your loving toward the saints is the fruit born by the gospel. I, Paul, preach the gospel to you, ministering Christ to you. And this is the reality, the truth you have received. Such a gospel in you bears the fruit. So it produces the love with which you love all the believers. The gospel bears such a fruit. And the gospel also grows since the day you believe, since the day you love the saints. This gospel, which is Christ himself, grows in you. Then what? As also in you, since the day you heard and fully knew the grace of God in truth. Fully knew. The word fully actually cannot express the genuine meaning of the Greek word in full. All the scholars say this word really means in full. To know something in full. Not partially knowing something, but fully knowing something. Fully knew the grace of God. You tell me, what is the grace? Christ. Christ. He tabernacled among us full of grace and truth. Here, both truth and grace are mentioned. Truth is he as the reality. And grace is also Christ as our enjoyment, as our experience. We experience Christ. We enjoy Christ. Then Christ at the truth becomes our grace. And this is the grace of God for us to participate in, to enjoy, and to experience. Francis, this is a marvelous section, to know the grace of God. He used some words here at the end. We participate in, we enjoy, and we experience. Knowing the grace of God is not a kind of knowing that we can get by studying. Francis, what is it to know the grace of God in truth? Well, I believe it means simply to know the grace of God in truth means to know Christ in reality. If we put the word reality for truth, There are a number of verses in the Bible that really become more clear. For example, uh, when he became flesh and dwelt among us, Mm -hmm. we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But actually, if you put reality there, 
it's made more clear. Because reality is not just a knowing about and not a doctrinal matter, but reality is knowing Christ not just in doctrine, but in knowing him personally. Christ is reality, and grace is Christ as our enjoyment. That means he's very subjective to us. Christ as truth, actually, you can say, becomes grace to us, and that's reality. To know him as grace is to know him as reality. Truth and reality there, if I recall my uh, somewhat incomplete study of Greek, either rendering is uh, accurate according to the Greek text there. Both of these words come from the same Greek root. So the uh, the verse when we say to know the grace of God in truth or to know it in reality, it does put it in a more experiential context, doesn't it? That's right. That's the important thing here. And that's the important thing of this ministry in this age is that we would really experience these things, not just know them objectively. Francis, the next few verses comprise the Apostle Paul's prayer for the saints in Colossae. Uh, let's look at how he prayed. At verse 9, beginning there, it says, Therefore we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease praying and asking on your behalf that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's just go that far, and then we'll come back and pick up verse 10 in a moment. I like this verse. I want to talk about it because it mentions uh, God's will here. And, of course, all Christians are interested all the time in knowing God's will. Usually, this is in the context of wanting to know what God has for us, who we are to marry, uh, what career we should choose, where we should go to school, where we should live, what kind of car we should buy, etc., etc., etc. We've all engaged in this kind of <laughs> right. seeking God's will, quote, unquote, But what is Paul talking about in verse 9 here when he says the full knowledge of his will? Full knowledge of his will here is not about all these things like you mentioned. But God's will here refers to the will of his eternal purpose, that is, his economy concerning Christ. We're always concerned about what is God's will for me and these details that you just mentioned and many other things we could bring into that category. But here, the full knowledge of his will means absolutely the full knowledge of Christ as the economy of God, how the economy of God is concerning Christ. If we know that full knowledge of God's will is to have Christ and everything centered in Christ, both now and for eternity, we would realize that we have then the full knowledge of his will. His will is Christ. Let's talk about these other things for a minute, things that I mentioned before, marrying and jobs, careers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a context in which God's will uh, filters down into these kind of practical things? Of course, when we tell the Lord we love him and we want him as our life, actually, we're beginning by that to live Christ. And Christ is God's will. That is, everything that is uh, in God's purpose and in his intention is uh, centered in Christ. And uh, Christ to be our life is uh, the way to enjoy all his provisions and to know his will. If we live in the realm of Christ being our life and living by him day by day, all of these things will become amazingly clear to us one by one, not by so much prayer in regard to just those things, but Lord, how do you want to live through me today? Where would you like to live through me today? How would you like to live through me today? I take you as my life. 
I want to fit into God's will for his economy, for the accomplishing of his purpose, for what he wants to do on this earth. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. So, Lord, I give myself to you to live one with you and exercise my spirit to enjoy you day by day. I believe this is a thing that will satisfy God's desire. This is really good because surely God knows that we have practical needs and these things in their place are important. Surely he knows that. So if we're focused on him and if we are focusing our life not on what his will is for me but on his will as it satisfies his purpose, then it's inconceivable that he would not take care of all of these items along the way, isn't it? Yeah, and even uh, Matthew brings this out. He says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. That includes all these things will be added to you. Francis, another favorite topic of believers is their walk. Romans talks about walking in spirit. And here in verse 10, it says this, to walk worthily of the Lord, to please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work and growing by the full knowledge of God. Let's pick up this word walk in this portion or in Romans as we talked about walking in the spirit. Does this really refer to the believers behaving in such a way that makes God happy with us? Is that what to walk in a well-pleasing way is referring to? Well, if we really walk that way, it won't displease God. So we need to find out what is the real matter of walking in a worthy way. God the Father is really pleased with his Son. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I find all my delight, or in whom I am well pleased. I think at least twice he said that concerning Jesus, as he lived on the earth in the flesh. But God's pleasure is to see Christ lived out today. He is put into every believing heart. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord gets another life put into them. And by living by that life, this is what will please God, because this is Christ lived out through us, reproducing himself in us so that his life can be lived out. This is to live worthily. It doesn't mean that we have outstanding attainments Mm -hmm. or that we're outstanding in our community. It means that we live Christ. We live by Christ. We don't just live for Christ, but he is our life. We learn to exercise our inner being to live him. So Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and this is what pleases God. This is to walk worthily. We walk according to this spirit. In our spirit, there is the divine spirit, and when we walk in spirit, we are pleasing to God. And this is really what God wants, and that will make him happy. Yeah, it uh, struck me in Matthew, I was thinking back as you were talking there about what is it exactly that pleases God. And uh, when the Lord took uh, Peter and the others up to the mountain and was revealed before them or transfigured, of course, and Peter had a a bright idea about building tabernacles for Moses and Elijah along with the Lord Jesus. And of course, God speaks in a quite definite way and tells Peter just to stop and hear him in whom I delight or in whom I am well pleased. So really, Christ himself is what pleases God. So to walk in a way that pleases God means we are walking in Christ himself, isn't it? That's right. He wants to be lived out of us. 
Francis, this is a wonderful book. It's uh, situated in a, we'll find out, uh, I think, in tomorrow's program. It's situated in a, a portion of the Bible that witnessly referred to as the heart of the Bible, the heart of the divine revelation in this cluster of four books of Galatians and Philippians and Ephesians that accompany this one. Uh, there's a lot ahead of us in the coming weeks. I really uh, invite all of our listeners to stay with us as many of these programs as you're able to get and contact us about the printed messages. Francis, uh, come back and see us again very soon. Thank you very much. I'd like to do that. And let me give you our toll-free number and invite you to call us. Uh, it's very important that we hear from you. Of course, we have a lot of material that we love to share with people, not because we're anxious to sell books, but because the riches contained in these materials are for every seeking, hungry child of God, and uh, we, we delight in bringing them uh, to you and making them available to you. The toll-free number is one eight 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 life study That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. We want you back as many times as possible in this life study, as we said, and we will be here again tomorrow as we continue this very first week of our life study of Colossians. Please join us then. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde, and thank you very much for listening today. The printed Life Study of Colossians is available in a three-volume set with a total of 65 messages. To order, call 1-888-543-3788.